Welcome back to another exciting edition of the Pointless Exercise Podcast. We're going to talk baseball with Bally Sports MLB writer David Brown. David, how are you? Hi, Andy. I'm doing fine. I'm all all start out ready for the second half. So it was weird. The second half started. We're recording this on Thursday. Um, a lot of most teams aren't playing, but there were two double headers today. <laughs> right. I talk about drawing the short straw. Not only do you get a day less for your break, but we'll just play twice. Why not? Isn't a better union? <laughs> they should. They should. Th- they should uh, refuse to. Play. No, they shouldn't do that. They are. We already went through that on the opposite end. Um. Right. So yeah, the uh, we we just lived through uh, another exciting All Star game. Uh, the National League led for like three innings in this one. The most they have in like eight years. It was very exciting. Um, what was we we'll talk about all the important stuff? Uh, what was your thoughts about the uniforms? Oh my god! I mean, I try not to do go overboard with uh, hyperbole, which is kind of redundant. But um, no, I I don't get the home uniforms. I can almost see, like envision what they were thinking. The road ones. I mean, it's it isn't black all the way. It's gray, but there's like more. There's darker gray and the or black and the hat and the the colors are different. And it's just it. I'm colorblind, so it's not that I can't see color, but I get easily confused you know, by life and by color. And uh, I didn't know what the hell was going on. It's like, I can't, who are these people? Yeah. It's the, the uh, David Bednar from the pirates kind of looked like a pirate because it was, you know, I don't mean like with an eye patch, but I mean, like <laughs> the wooden leg. I thought that was a bit much. <laughs> yeah. Like Monty Stratton <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> Keep gray, wrong, wrong appendage. But um, yeah, so I, I, I see what they're going for. I don't think it's a crime against humanity or anything, but I mean, it, on its own, it sucked. It is, I get my question is who buys those? I mean, that's right. clearly why they're doing it. And they used to do the thing where they made like the batting practice Jersey was, was the funky one. And if you wanted to buy, like I distinctly remember the, uh, these so ugly they were almost cool ones they had in San Diego, which were kind of a uh, tribute to the old Padres uniforms. Yeah. And I know lots of people who bought the Chris Bryant one, and they wear that around. But it's like they decided, oh, if we sell a bunch of these, think how many we'll sell if we do the real jersey. And then all you do is the the one kind of – one of the cool things about the All-Star game is just to see all the guys out there in their either home whites or road grays, depending on whatever. And right. it's just, it just seemed like a need, yet another of baseball's needless changes to things. But um, of course you add to it, the, the Rob Manfred quote about how I never really liked everybody walking around in different jerseys. Anyway, that's not a good aesthetic. Uh, who, who's with me? No I one expected him to do the whole, they call it a uniform for a reason. Everyone must be uniform. We can't have all these willy-nilly, this guy's got blue uh, blue hat on, and this guy's got a green hat on. We, it just confuses everybody. It's like, no. He's just got to be asshole dad about everything. So. Yeah. He really does. Um, the grays were bad, but I, do, I think there's potential, and the Diamondbacks screwed it up too. Yeah. I think there's potential for a team to go with a slightly darker gray 
than what we traditionally see at the modern gray uniforms that would, I think, kind of look more like the old flannels. But everybody, whenever they try it, and oh, a few teams have tried it, they go too dark. Yeah. The Diamondbacks, you know, I think their thought, when they, one of their many, remember the ones they had that looked like it got like super red down by the, and it looked like everybody's legs were bleeding? <laughs> yes. That's a good look. I got bit by a snake. No, you are. You're supposed to be a snake. No, I don't. Get gradient, it. they called it, right? Isn't that gradient? Yes. It just progressively got redder as you went down. Uh, so there's a potential for that. Because um, I keep hoping that the Cubs will uh, someday scrap the road grays and try something different. They've, they're not bad, but they're not good. They're just kind of there. Yeah. And they've had them for a long time. They got rid of the Cuba ones. Those were awful. Whoever's genius idea was to put Cubs in huge script on it and then go, oh, that, it does look like it says Cuba. Um, they got rid of those. And I'm trying to think. They had ones that had, they said Chicago across the thing, like the old Vine Line um, yeah. masthead, and it had the Cubs logo in the middle C. I'm picturing that in my head right now. Yeah. And that one wasn't really bad, but they apparently didn't like that. Um, and so they went to the ones they have now, which are just kind of eh. And the Cubs have had some cool road jerseys over the years. Um, in fact, they wore a few of them in the 100th anniversary of Wrigley, when, like on Fridays or whatever, they were wearing throwbacks. Right. And one of them was a slightly darker gray. I think it's the one that mimics the... Where the it says Chicago on it, and then there's like a line under Chicago. Yeah, and it's like Nor- and the, all those Norman Rockwell ones about the Cubs doing horribly embarrassing things. They tend to be wearing them in the, in that, and I could it would be kind of cool if they would bring that back, go with a little darker gray, so it looks a little more flannel, or maybe just make the guys wear flannel. Wool. Go back, <laughs> right. go full wool. Everybody scratching. I mean, they're scratching anyway, but they'll really be scratching. They get get nice and heavy when it's hot. That's what they That's do. why George Costanza. Yeah, the opposite of going all cotton. You want wool where it doesn't breathe at all, but it also won't shrink. Well, I don't think the union will prevent it because they didn't prevent double headers like the day after yeah. for the first game of the second half. So I think that's a weakness in the union. They'll, they'll be able to pitch that and sell that uncomfortable uniforms. Uh, the other change in the All-Star game was we had a new, uh, we had new Joe. The Fox right. changed Joe's because uh, old Joe, Joe Buck, took his hair plugs to ESPN and uh, not allowed to do the games anymore. And we got, uh, I want to say, local boy to me up here because he went to Beloit College. Right. Uh, Joe Davis. Who, um, well, what do you think of Joe? What do you think of new Joe? People who uh, watch the Dodgers every day really like Joe Davis. <clears throat> and I don't have any huge complaints. I think he's a little too laid back. I think um, <clears throat> I want him to, it's not that he can't get excited, but he's a, just a little too droll, a little too matter of fact. Um, <clears throat> you know, I found myself, you know, sometimes people will accuse broadcasters like Smoltz of like, you know, do you really like the product? And it's based on things that they say with Joe. It's not the things so much as, can you just get a little more excited here about, no, this is the end of the game. Maybe we're down to the last out. He does say we're down to the last out or strike, but I just wish, I don't want him to go all the way to 11. Like I was saying before, I wanted to get maybe seven on the excited dial. 
Yeah, I think it's this, it. It really it really depends on the color analyst. But Smoltz is not going to get excited about anything. No. So somebody's got to pick up the slack, or you have zero excitement emanating. We don't need like Chip Carey. We don't need a guy screaming and yelling about everything and trying to falsely predict what's about to happen next and get himself in trouble. Um, but Buck did it mostly by just relentlessly being a smart ass. Um, Joe and I, it's, it's his first big game. You know, it, it's not like we're going to, they should fire him now because he completely failed. Um, right. He was there. He didn't screw anything up. He was just kind of there. Um, hopefully as they go through the playoffs, um, he'll get, uh, he'll get his footing and maybe liven things up a little bit. Um, one thing they did, though, for entire innings, they basically made the announcers irrelevant by putting the microphones on the players and turning those on. Yes. Um, when it worked, it worked, I thought, really well. I thought uh, Alec Manoa was really good. Uh, remember last year they tried it with Liam Hendricks, and he couldn't right. hear them? And then he kept swearing, so they had to keep bleeping it. So we couldn't hear, we couldn't really hear him much. Um, so Manoa was the more family-friendly version of that. Where right. Talking. And I did think it was funny when he, he asked Smoltz uh, advice on a two-strike pitch, and Smoltz told him to you know throw a back foot slider or whatever, and he hit the guy with it and yelled, damn it, he should have thrown a fastball. <laughs> Whoops. Um, then we got, uh, we got Nestor Cortez and Jose Trevino basically taking over for an inning. I thought that was pretty cool because they could hear each other, so they didn't have to use pitch con. They could literally just talk right. to each other, and uh, so that was kind of cool to hear that. And I wrote in the in the newsletter that oh, I wish they'd had this back when uh, Carlos Zambrano and Michael Barrett were teammates. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't you love to hear an inning of those two talking to each other? <laughs> uh, they talk about having to bleep everything out. <laughs> Carlos, like, time out. Oh, come out here. No, I'm not coming out there. Come out here. No. <laughs> you could punch me in the dugout, not on the mound. Uh, so we'd have that. It is, it's, this is 20, it's 2022, right? Isn't that what year it is? It seems yeah. odd to me that we still have so many problems, though, with the mics. Like, right. Aaron Judge is just crapped out, which didn't seem to bother Giancarlo Stanton at all. <laughs> He's like, oh, more time for me. <laughs> Uh, don't worry, Aaron. I I can handle this. Um, it is kind of amazing how uh, not much better that technology has gotten. You know, it's uh, a little wind or a little jersey flap too, and or if guy, I mean, you know, sometimes it sounds like they're out of breath all the time. Whether they are or not, I don't know. But little things like that make it hard. I don't know if that means we need like drone mics that aren't really attached to you or or whatever that just sort of float over you, and then, that way there's no resistance. <laughs> It just hovers, right? Humming in the background. It wouldn't be. It would be. I'm sure that'd be fine. Like a firefly, or a um, dragonfly. I mean. So I thought the highlight of the All Star Game, maybe the whole from you know Sunday, we had this draft through the home run derby through the All Star Game. I thought the highlight of it was uh, Tom Rinaldi. They go go down to Tom. Who is whenever you see Tom, you expect the soft music to start playing, and for him to talk about, uh, oh, this courageous player, his entire family died of lupus yesterday, but he's <laughs> out here playing. So he, <laughs> in typical uplifting fashion, he got to promote his podcast, which is a 
about it's just like eleven episodes about Lyman Bostock being oh murdered <laughs> during a season. <laughs> it's like Tom, you're, this is way too on the nose, even for you. I hadn't, you know, whenever I see Tom Rinaldi, I do think that somebody about somebody who has died or just or that somebody has died um, or is sick from cancer. And I, I didn't even really make that connection that it's like the one of the saddest uh, whatever moments in Major League history in the last 50 years, Lyman Bostock being murdered while on a road trip. Of course, they, they sick Tom Rinaldi on it. <laughs> well, this has Rinaldi written all over it. <laughs> I think the la- maybe the last thing he did for uh, ABC or ESPN ABC before he went to Fox was um, he did an NFL draft and ABC, you know, so like the way they do the NFL draft now, like you can watch the regular draft coverage on ESPN. You go to ABC, you get like the game day crew and they're going to talk about it from a college perspective, but mostly they're going to talk about like the families and the backstories. And Rinaldi was all over that one, and that there was a every pick had some kind of tragedy. Right, it was yes. amazing. It, yes, it, it didn't. Everybody either had their brother got killed, or their mom died, or they. Somebody's uh, mo- there. There were like guys with mothers in prison getting out of prison, yeah. and it's like, does does everybody have to be you know up the river or under six feet under or what? I mean, but it was my, just. So my favorite part about that was uh, Bill Simmons, you know, the sports guy. Mm. Was tweeting during the, the draft, and apparently didn't he thought the only draft broadcast was the ABC one, mm-hmm. and him and his wife was sitting there watching it with him, and she's like, "This is the most depressing draft ever." And he's like, "Aren't they ever going to talk about the about like how the guy's going to fit on the team?" And his readers had to like tweet him and go turn it to ESPN. You used to work there for God's sake. Right. There's more than one channel. He's like, oh, you don't have to watch the 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 horribly depressing coverage of it. You can get over here. It's like, did you think that Mel Kiper just wasn't going to be there this year? Right. I mean, this last year he wasn't there because he didn't get vaccinated. So he was, uh, but he was on the broadcast. He was just sitting in his garage in Baltimore, whatever. <sighs> That's what I think of when I think of Tom Rinaldi. Uh, so the home run derby uh, was on uh, Monday. It is. Um, it's still a good event. It's unfortunately it's the highlight of All Star Week. All yeah. Star, it's not even weekend. Uh, early week All Star uh, because it at least has some action in it as opposed to the game. I've been to one in person. I went to the um, 2002 Derby in Milwaukee. Yeah. And that was like the height of home run derby. That was everybody was roided up to the gills. Yes. I mean, it was it was the complete freak show. Exactly the thing you want to see. Sammy, before the thunderstorm came, which caused them to close the roof and the back panels at Miller Park, Sammy was hitting balls out of Miller Park. <laughs> uh, and I tweeted this because uh, it's the most indelible, mem- my most indelible memory from All-Star from that day, the Monday, was the regular All-Star teams took batting practice you know, a couple hours before the Derby, and we were there for right. the whole thing. And Vladimir Guerrero was hitting line drive after line drive off of Bernie's chalet, <laughs> and they were going up when they were hitting the chalet. Right. And we're like, this guy's not, and he's not in the home run derby. It was just, it was ridiculous. Uh, my friend Charlie and I were there. We were sitting in the right field 
bleachers. Mm-hmm. I had my a friend of mine and I had season tickets down in the loge seats, and we got kicked out for the All Star game because that's where they put the auxiliary media. Right. I don't know if you were there, but if you were, you were in my seat. So I was up. At, we were, but this is going to be perfect because the finals. I think the finals, or at least the final four, were uh, Jason Giambi and Barry Bonds. We're like, holy crap, every ball's coming to us. This is going to be great. Right. The only time as an adult I took a glove. Uh, <laughs> to but it's like, it's a freaking home run derby. It'd be stupid not to come, you know, try to defend right. yourself. Of course. We didn't have a ball come anywhere near us. Mm-hmm. If they did pull it, they hit it so ridiculously far that it was way over us. Or they were going the other way in the derby. It's like, all right, Barry, your commitment to using the whole field, we just scrap it for this. Hit right. me one. Uh, but that was fun. So uh, that wasn't the one where they walked him intentionally, haha. Was it? <laughs> <laughs> in, the, um, in, the, in the derby, I saw a video of that. So that was the All Star game. Well, obviously it was the tie, and we could and we could see it coming. Yeah, they just Joe, Joe Torre and Bob Brenly were the managers, and they were using guy. They were using pitchers for like one batter to try to get everybody in. And I'm trying to right. sit in there, and we're like, it's like the eighth inning, and it's tied, and they're starting to run out. And then it went to extras, and it's still tied. And now that we're looking, and you could on the Miller Park scoreboard, you could see who was left. Right. And there wasn't hardly anybody left. I'm like, I think I said, I, they're going to have to scrap this. And he's like, oh, that's ridiculous. They're not going to. And we could kind of see Bud. We knew where he was. And we could kind of see him, and he was already doing the, you know, I don't know, it's holding his hands right. up. Yeah. And I was like, oh, f-. I'm like, screw it. I go on it. We almost, we almost took off to try to beat traffic because I'm like, this place is going to go nuts when they – and they, they announced before the bottom of whatever inning that if it remained tied, that uh, it, there, it would be a tie. And people were pissed. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it might have been this podcast I told a story. Damian Miller was an all-star that year because Bob, <laughs> Bob picked every diamond back. <laughs> Right, and Damien is from Wisconsin. Right, and these there were these drunk guys a couple of rows in front of us who, when he uh, got introduced before the game, uh, all of a sudden unfurled a sheet that had something like the Damien Miller Fan Club or something written on it. That was the it was the most spotted sheet. It was basically <laughs> I remember in the Water Boy when when Bobby when, Ma, when Bobby Boucher's mom hangs his sheet up and there's big piss stains all over it. That was that. <laughs> We were like, oh, God. <laughs> what a tribute. <laughs> that was uh, two highlights from that week. From uh, was uh, We went to the Futures game. And um, this was before I would actually meet him. and uh, But uh, we were uh, hanging out and Tony Gwynn in a suit. Yes. Walks up to us and asks if if we know where the ESPN set is. <laughs> and we did because we had seen it. So I was able right. to direct Tony. I'm like, you're going to have to go down to the bleachers here and go over there. You can kind of see it. So that was cool. Like, hey, Tony Gwynn. And then it was a 20 minutes later in the right field stands. I, I, I haven't been to Miller Park in a while. So I think it's still there. Gorman Thomas has like a barbecue shack right. up there. And we were heading back up there. And <laughs> Kurt Schilling was there in full uniform eating a barbecue sandwich. <laughs> Just standing up there on the concourse eating right. a sandwich in his full Diamondbacks <laughs> uniform. <laughs> We're like, ah, we've seen it all. <sighs> but uh, So, kind of uh, maybe dovetailing a little bit, we uh, hoping, I'm sure you were hoping for a tie in I the was. All-Star game so that we could have... Uh, Seen a home run derby 
they sort of kind of fit that in under the wire. Uh, win the game, presumably for somebody. That's a it's a I great idea, kid, and they they should have. This is entertainment. They should have rigged it so that it happened. Right. Um, they didn't. In fact, in the in the top of the ninth, when Emmanuel or bottom of the ninth, when Emmanuel Classe came in to pitch, I don't know if you noticed this, but um, he threw a ball to, I think, the second hitter. He struck out the first guy on three pitches. He threw a ball, and he was pissed, like super pissed. And I said it. I wrote it. I'm like, he thinks he's going. He thought he's going to get an immaculate inning. Right. He only threw. He struck out the side on ten pitches. That was the only ball uh-huh. he threw. That guy, he's amazing because he throws what looks like a breaking pitch, like when you see it on TV, and it's a hundred right. miles an hour, and you realize it's just, right. it's just the movement on the fastball. It's like, oh, right. It's like, how the hell does anybody ever hit him? And they don't much, so I guess that's why he was there closing in the All Star. Yes. Um, there is one alteration I would like to see, that, and I, I apparently, well, you're a, you're a baseball uh, person. You'll, you'll remember this if it really happened. Somewhere in my mind, I think. There was a home run distance contest where they actually took players out to an airport. Wow! Now, like, really like not during an All Star game, just like just somebody for some cash. <laughs> they went out to a runway and they measured how far these guys could hit home runs. Right. And I think it would be cool if they had like a couple guys who aren't in the regular derby. They're not, you know, they're not the eight guys or whatever that are going to be in it. But they take a, a couple of guys who are like, you know, instead of doing this, you just want to go see how far you can hit one. And during when, because here's the thing, I, I feel like there's a there's a big disadvantage to the guy who wins in the second of the uh, the second of the semifinals. Yeah, because they're tired, they don't really get to rest. They have to hurry up to get to the finals because ESPN wants to get this over because they've got a Derek Jeter documentary they want to get on, and they forgot that the home run derby takes four hours. So what I what I'd like to see is between the semis and the finals to give that hitter some rest. We go live to whatever airport, and so next year it would be SeaTac, I guess, because it's going to be in Seattle. And that's when we have we spend like fifteen minutes with these guys, seeing just how freaking far they can hit a baseball. Right. I think it would be really cool. So that's my free uh, suggestion to Rob to Rob Manfred. Mix in well, how if far can hit one. If it's the right thing to do, then he's not going to do it. So, um, but I like that idea, and it does ring a bell. I was just doing a quick Google. I couldn't I, find. I, it. I sure I YouTube. I thought, oh, I'll find a video of this, and it's either dreamt it or um, the baseball burned all the footage. Right, or it's just in that hole where it's not quite on the internet, and somebody didn't VHS it or whatever. I was thinking, it doesn't. I mean, the airport makes sense because you got lots of room, and yes. you, can, you can measure, but it. Also, you know, in Seattle, I don't know how you'd measure this. I mean, they're smart guys with radar and sonar and stuff. I have them just blast balls out into Puget Sound. That would right. also look cool. Actually, put them on a boat and have them hit. Let's go the opposite way. Let's get them out on Puget Sound, hitting balls back onto land. Have we had a home run derby on an aircraft carrier? Did that happen? I don't know, but I bet that seems like next year seems like the perfect time to do it. Right. They try to play college basketball on aircraft carriers every few years. Yes. And it never seems to work. Um, we should do it during a war. <laughs> it should be some sort of uh in the Persian some sort of Persian yeah. Gulf thing. Like a 
Did somebody call timeout? No, there's a couple of planes need to land. <laughs> Guys, get off the get off the court. It's part of the runway. Mavericks doing flyby. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. You know damn well if they had if they had a home run derby on an aircraft carrier next year, the guy delivering the balls, they would it would start with Tom Cruise trying to land a fighter plane himself right. on the carrier, right. and he's got all the baseballs. Oh my you tail hook! You can't, you can't have the derby if he skitters off the. Uh, into the ocean. <laughs> yeah, Cougar was going to deliver the baseballs, but uh, Cougar pooped out. You're number one. <laughs> I can't believe it. i got to give you your dream shot. You're going to go deliver baseballs to the home run derby. <sighs> so the uh, the MLB draft was on started on Sunday. I, I think it's over. <laughs> I don't know. They yeah. just kept. They just kept picking. Now they don't pick nearly as many guys as they used to. Right. No Piazza fifty seventh round or whatever. Do you know 37th. that the in the old draft? Do you know when the draft ended? When they said we're like, all right, we're done. When every right? when every team stopped picking. Right. So basically, you could crap out whenever you wanted, but if you stopped, then you were done. You couldn't start up again. And they right. would draft until every team. They're like, has anybody got anybody got any picks left? And that's how you ended up with, like, Mark Grace and Mike Piazza. Right. And I can't do that anymore because now they only pick 20 guys. Um, and there's the whole thing, the whole icky thing about, so you got the draft slots, and then they have to, it's like, ooh, did the, did the Cubs draft this guy because he's good, or did they draft him because he's cheap, and then they can get somebody better in the second round, and then they can do whatever. But the thing I don't like about it, well, there's a lot of I don't like about it, is when teams want to save money, what they'll do is they will draft a uh, fourth-year college player because they can pay him whatever the hell they want. Right. Because he can't go anywhere. He can't go back. He's screwed. It's take take it or leave it. Cubs had a guy last year that they didn't give a signing bonus to. They got him. To agree, they got him to agree to not take one because it helped him make their. It's like oh fuck. It does that's just shitty. Um. But I, the thing I love about the baseball draft is we don't know who anybody is. Right. We have no idea. You could tell me that, um, you know, some guy is the greatest player of all time, and it turns out that he had never played. He's never touched a baseball in his life. It just was an elaborate prank, and I would believe it because I don't know. Right. Uh, and then you get all these, like, instant reactions to the picks. And they're like, oh, this is great. It's like, you, you didn't, did you ever see this guy play? No, then maybe you don't weigh in. And my new favorite thing about the draft, and I thought it was a bit, and maybe it was. If it was, he was committed to it. The guy who runs the Ivy Futures Twitter account mm-hmm. um, was congratulating the scouts when the Cubs made picks. So, like, when they picked, uh, what's his name, Cade Horton. Horton? Helton? Horton? Horton? Yeah. Kane Horton, I think. Horton, I think that's right. Yeah, well, Horton here's a who. He congratulated the area scout who has Oklahoma. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm sure that means a lot to this guy. Hey, did you see this, honey? Oh, this guy, the guy with 3,000 Twitter followers just congratulated me because they took a guy from my area. <laughs> How do you print these? I want to put it on the fridge. Oh, I told you it was worth it. <laughs> <laughs> all that, all that sacrifice. Me missing Thanksgiving and Christmas. Greg Zumwalt or whatever the guy's name is, right here. There it is. Made it all worth it. 
Who is Greg? Greg Zumwalt, that's a real person. Who is that? I think it's him. <laughs> really? I think hey. so. Let's we're gonna look here quick. Oh, Greg Zumach. I don't know who Greg Zumwalt is. Different guy. Sounds like a, a real guy, but okay. Sounds like a guy that owns a Chrysler dealership somewhere. <laughs> Zumwalt. Uh Plymouth Chrysler. Dodge <laughs> Plymouth Chrysler. Right. You can't get a good Plymouth these days. No. No, you can't get any Plymouth these days, actually. <laughs> but now we're on to the uh, the second half of the baseball season. Um, and I was going to see if you want to reconsider. It was just a, like a month ago, you declared that the White Sox were uh, DOA. You know, and I... I... I was, times happy to, I was happy to let you do it because I don't like them. We know. A couple times, you know, they got hot, you know, for them after I decided that they were dead. And I declared them dead again. And they came back from the dead. And uh, the division just uh, can't get away from them. It's just not very good. The Twins aren't. The Twins, they could. I could see the Twins if, uh, you know, like Buxton and Correa stay off the DL. And their pitchers. I mean, they could break away in the second half, but it just doesn't seem like they're gonna. It's gonna keep the White Sox in for as long as they can. I, you know, I felt like, oh man, this is this. Larusa's really got to get fired this time, and oh, well, he's back. You know, he's just never. There just don't seem to be. It was so easy for Hawk to fire him in '86, but this time it's just Reinsdorf apparently is not going to let that happen. And I, I don't even know if that would. You know, it seems like they're. All a bunch of mopes, you know, and and Larusa did that, and they had a good clubhouse before. But I don't know if even that matters. I don't, is that why they're not hitting? You know, half the lineup isn't hitting what it can. But uh, no, I mean, I don't know if they're really dead. But I'm not. I'm not going to get excited or have any optimism about how they're playing until they do much better than this. Whatever they're doing, how's that? That sounds good. What if yeah. I told you, though, that the uh, Twins would make a huge trade and they would get uh, Rafael Ortega and... <laughs> um, and what's the huge trade? And Chris Martin. Would that would that swing the division, do you think, in their favor? Uh, you know, it might, it might come down to that, that, that last... Uh, I mean, I wouldn't think so, but you never know. You never know. What do the Cubs get? Uh, they'll get... A uh, couple of, a couple of twelve-year-olds. That's what class they, A. That's what they. That's what they like. Pictures. Not a manual class A. If, if single A. No, that would. Yeah, that would actually help. Um. So I don't know if you knew this. Uh, on Sunday during the Cubs' big come from behind win over the Mets, uh, which cost them um, dearly in the race for the number one draft pick, because now they they stayed a half game ahead of the Reds, who had been rained out. They would have uh, been in last place all by themselves had they lost. Sure. Uh, Wilson Contreras got a hit late in the game and asked for the ball. He's running low on them. <laughs> That's right. He's like, I just, uh, the dog likes to play with these. I don't have any. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, because he, so, you know, he, just in case it's his last hit at Wrigley Field, he decided he wanted the ball. Oh, I missed this. Yes. He actually, it was not, there was not a milestone hit. Other than he's like, hey, can I have that? And they threw the ball into the dugout, and he kept it. 
Because apparently sounds... he's so convinced he's getting traded before the Cubs. They have they have a weird schedule when they come back where they go on they they have road trips, two road trips surrounded by two games at home against the Pirates. Right. So he m- maybe just decided I'm probably not going to get hit in those two games against the Pirates. <laughs> so I'll just can I have the ball? Uh, but it fed speculation that it's like well he knows that he's going to be gone before they even come back. Which he wouldn't know that, because I'm sure they haven't told him. Right. But I was convinced he was going to get traded uh, either yesterday or today, because I just assumed that the Cubs um, were told they couldn't trade him before the All-Star game. Because they don't, baseball didn't want a repeat of the Jeff Samarja in-disguise All-Star Right, where it's like he got traded to the other league and couldn't play, and he had to wear like this generic hat <laughs> and stand on the National League side and wave, and then go sit in the American League dugout because he'd been traded to the A's uh, before the All Star game. So I don't know yeah, that, what preposterous circumstances that was. I mean, I don't. Uh, baseball can't figure out, you know, do we take the all-star game too seriously or not seriously at all? It's like they pick a lane. I, I wondered, was that, that, was that still in the, this time it counts era? Uh, that was at, yeah, it would have been 2014. Yeah. That was like 2016 when that stopped 16 or 17. I so I wonder if that happened now where this time it doesn't matter again. Right. If they simply would have had him play for, you got picked for the National League team, you're going to play for the National League team. But I have a feeling because, like, oh, no, this could determine home field advantage for the for the World Series. We, he can't, right. he, he just can't play. It was weird. It seemed, uh, it, honestly, what it seemed like they should have done was he simply should have played for the American League. Just put him in his A's hat and let him play, even though I don't know that he'd pitch for them yet. You've had the right. odd thing where he pitched for them in an all-star game before he pitched for them in a real game. That would have been hilarious. It's sort of like, uh, I mean, remember when Sean Manaya was traded in spring training and they were, there was like concern that, well, he might have to pitch against the A's, uh, against, yeah, against the, the A's wearing an A's hat for the Padres. <laughs> they joked about it, but it was like, it was also like, well, maybe he'll have to because all his stuff isn't here yet. So they couldn't just run out to the concession stand and get a hat, I guess. Yeah. Ah, uh, baseball. That's yeah, they're weird. That's great stuff. Um, so as, as to the Cubs and the trade deadline, there's a lot of uh, uh, people wondering whether they're going to trade. Everybody knows they're going to trade Wilson Contreras. Um, but will they trade Ian Happ? And, yeah. uh, and someone, another, another writer who uh, messaged me and said, do you... What's the market for him? Right. Um, I would guess it's the Andrew Benatendi market. Yeah. So maybe the fact that Benatendi is not vaccinated would actually get Hap, get the Cubs some offers for the guy who could actually play if they went to Toronto. Yeah. I mean, he's not. uh, Yeah. He's fine. You know, he's a, he's a versatile player who he's a switch hitter. He can play, he can, Play left. You can put him out in center, and he wanders around. Um, you probably should never, should never put him in second base again. He used to do that, but he's not really that good at anything. And I think he's the kind of guy where teams look at him like, "Yeah, we've got 
we got a guy who's almost as good as him that we don't have to give up anything for. We can just play. So I think they're, I think the Cubs will spin it as, well, no, we had to keep some of the fan favorites where he kept Ian Happ. Right. <laughs> the fans are like, that's, that's the one we kept. Really? <laughs> so I will be, I will be interested to see if he gets traded. Cause I just, I'm not sure. And I could be wrong. I'm wrong all the time. I just, I can't imagine people are going to be really banging down their door to get him. Well, you sort of touched on it a little bit that, uh, Players like this do end up getting traded, and they—it's just not for very much. Yeah, you know, you know, the, the offers aren't great. And sometimes they get traded, and sometimes they don't. But when they when it happens, it's like, well, that's all you got, and it's like, yeah, that, a lot of trades end up being like that because teams already have someone really like Ian Happ on their roster already, like you said. So it kind of feels like what will end up happening is the Cubs won't get an offer that they really are they really find attractive. They won't trade him. And then next year, they'll be in the exact same spot, except now he'll be in the last year of his deal. Right. He has a year of control after this. So it could very well be that it's not that they're going to keep him because, oh, we can't trade Ian Happ. It's more, eh, we couldn't trade him. Like, nobody wanted to give us anything of value, so we right. kept him. Well, and, I mean, you know, the way they are good at uh, tamping salaries at uh, in free agency these days for mediocre players compared to a few years ago, you probably don't even have to worry about him leaving in free agency. You probably get him if you want him again. You probably get him for a decent, you know. That's another reason to keep him, I suppose. But yeah, he's not a. He doesn't move the needle in a lot of different ways. My, my guess is that he's he's worth more now. He may not be worth much, <laughs> but he's worth more now than he's ever going to be. Right. Because he strung together a good, well, not even a good second half last year. He was terrible, like really terrible, until the, right after the trade deadline. He was hitting 180. And then he hit um, like over 300 with some power the last two months when nobody was paying any attention to the Cubs because Frank Schwindel was running around. And, um, and then he had a good start to this season. And I we've seen enough Ian Happ to basically realize you sh- you need to jump on this. That this right. would be the good time now. If you don't think you're getting much, I get, it's more than you're going to get. So you might as well get rid of him. And we'll see if they do that or not. Um, I think it was Patrick Mooney pointed out that, you know, they, they one of the reasons they claimed Wade Miley from the Reds was to trade him. And he has pitched four times this year. Right. And Frank Schwindel has pitched three times for the Cubs. <laughs> so not a great, uh, that's not a great return on investment uh, for Wade. With Wade. Um, they're going to try to get something for Drew Smiley. Um, I could see him you like, never... I could see like the Braves trading for him because he pitched there last year. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, they already took oh, Jesse Chavez back off the Cubs' hands. I could see him. What do you want for Smiley? We know him. That's fine. We'll take him. Right. Uh, and, but it doesn't, other than Juan Soto, if you believe that he's really on the market. It's kind of Wilson Contreras and then a bunch of, ugh. at least yeah. we know of. He, you get surprised by some of the guys that get traded. You're like, I didn't even know that guy was available. But this is not like, it doesn't look like we're going to hit some, there's going to be like these huge trades because it just doesn't seem like there's a lot of guys that are on the uh, block. I, I, I caught a glimpse of somebody's idea of who the pitchers were available. And it's like, 
really? You know, it's not it's not names that uh, get your heart moving very much. Um, you know, Tyler Molly or whatever his name is. You know, people like that of that quality. Yeah, because and then you've got weird things. You got like like the Brewers, who they, they never they just never seem like they're really ever going to fix their offense. <laughs> Like, do you guys realize you have like really good pitching, and then you'd score two runs a week, and it's just not going to work? And it's like, well, we oh, we'll fix it at the deadline. No, you won't. <laughs> right? They, trust me, you will not fix this at the deadline. Yeah, it's like when everything goes perfect, their offense is okay. And you know, how often does thing do things go perfect? So, I mean, they. I heard that you know they should be in the Juan Soto Derby, but I don't know. You know, you, you mentioned, like, well, is he really on the block? I mean, I guess he's on the block, but it's like so many things have to happen. I, I don't know how good the return is going to be if he doesn't sign a contract, and he doesn't seem like he's going to before he hits free agency. So you think it's a bad sign for the Nats that he turned down a $440 million deal? Well, yes and no. I That is a 15-year offer who signs those when's the last 15 i don't that you know other than before the the current flood days the reserve clause that's it's like in perpetuity so um you know that's only 29 million dollars a year only i say but he's gonna want 35 40 a year at least and then you wonder if how much it really was like how much it was deferred because the Nats are one of those teams that loves to defer. They're going to be paying like Max Scherzer until he's in his seventies. I think um, Ken Rosenthal said it, there was no deferment. Okay. I, well, that's better. I don't know. You know who knows, but he said no because I, I looked for that. Because yeah, because they you know, they're going to have a Bobby Bonilla day. Yeah, Strasburg and Strasburg and Scherzer both are their money right. is stretched way out. Um. So I don't know. Do you think Juan gets traded, or you think that's a that's the kind of trade where it's like, you know what, we'd be better off doing this in the off season than uh, trying to do it um, at the deadline. Well, the in season trades definitely. You see, it seems like you you don't get those monstrous deals anymore. Um, you know, I think they could get a decent deal for him but it, it, this is a lot to come together in two weeks and like i said you know for for what they you know who know if you're the nationals what you should probably be thinking is you know who knows what things are going to be like in two years with us maybe we should wait and hold on to him and you know he's a generational talent and all that and not not because i just don't see him unless he's given exactly what Scott Boris wants, you know, either a $500 million contract or $40 million a year. I don't see um, that he's going to be signing before he hits free agency. He's uh, yeah. So I I don't, therefore what the Nats could get for him isn't going to be enough to make it worth it. Well, and they're for sale. Right. So, that's, there's two minds of this. There's one that um, if you trade him and get a team to take Patrick Corbin, then the new owner comes in with a clean slate and hardly any payroll. But there's the other thought is when well, maybe the new owner would like to be the one who makes the decision about whether they pay Juan Soto or they trade him. 
Yeah. Um, and and, and as much as much money as this is, it's not so much money that because we're getting a new owner, we need to have it off the books. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and that's true with Corbin too. Corbin's contract is outrageous mostly because he hasn't, he's pitched like crap since he signed it. But these guys just have so much money and it's, like we said, the payments are deferred and, um, you know, we act like, I mean, it's, it's, uh, they don't really have a lot of reason to trade him. I mean, it, these guys can all afford to have a great player on their roster for this much money and they can afford to make mistakes with Patrick Corbin. That's, you know, they're, they're, it just doesn't add up to enough money to make a billionaire give a crap. No, so sure. I, I think that's all overrated. And I, so I, I kind of wondered how much of the, oh, he's going to get traded is uh, writers trying to speak it into existence yeah. at what is otherwise going to be kind of a dud trade deadline. Uh, you, you, you brought up a good point. And I mean, like I said, I, I thought of, the the list of names of the pitchers anyway who are supposedly available and it's just not not any game changers here that I you know that I can see or certainly not many so it's uh yeah it's um and you know Boris talking in his ear trying to just drum up interest either for now or for later so yeah the biggest thing because Boris is his agent if you trade for him you're you're not even fifty fifty that you're going to keep him. No, you know, you're going to have to put, there are no discounts. You're going to have to pony up. And so if you trade, you know, I mean, to get Juan Soto, you should be willing to trade a lot. Cause he's a great player. Right. He's a very young, great player, but you have to have in the back of your mind, we may trade all this stuff, get him. That'd be great. And then he leaves and then we're left with a big bag of nothing. Um, right. But he's, he's also a guy who is, uh, you know, because of his age and what he can do, not a great defensive player, but, uh, you know, transcendent hitter. Um, you can build a team. I mean, you really can build a team around yeah. him. You, you can't, I mean, you can overpay lots of players to a certain extent in baseball, and that's where teams kind of get themselves into trouble with the, you know, you, you've talked about this before. You can't, um, pay a player, a good player, you know, like uh, Jim Henry wanted to do and have him go from good to great just because his salary is bigger. It's, but Juan Soto is a guy, no matter what you're going to end up paying him, he's going to get you a return on your investment. Yeah, and the glove won't be a big deal when, you know, because when he comes to the Cubs, because Say is going to play right field. <laughs> right. So, you know, Juan doesn't have, he can play left. Jason Hayward in center. Jason Hayward and, and Ian Happ platooning in center. It'll be great, and on the on onto the World Series they go. He's not his metrics aren't terribly terrible. I don't think in the outfield Juan Soto's. So yeah, yeah, he doesn't seem like a right fielder. No, maybe just miscast. Ship him over the other where the throws are shorter, and, and it'll be fine. Right. Um. Yeah, you were talking about the dearth of starting pitching. Well, I, you know, the Cubs have Adrian Sampson. Huh? <laughs> I was on another podcast. I was on the Wrigleyville Nation podcast as a guest. 
and we talked about that. And um, we were wondering if Adrian has any trade value. And I said, here's how much trade value Adrian Sampson has. He's, he pitched really well for the Cubs last year, and then he, he's pitched really well for them again this year. Uh, the Cubs DFA'd him this year. He went to the Mariners, who right. then DFA'd him, and he cleared waivers, and he came back to the Cubs. Yeah. That's what his trade value is. <laughs> <laughs> It was just like uh, Cub, Cub fans were all up in arms when the in order in, the, in a flurry of uh, of moves, uh, the bigger one they needed to get uh, Stephen Brault onto the big yeah. league roster because you know that's uh, showcase him for a huge trade. I'm sure for somebody's <laughs> bat boy. The Cubs had to DFA Matt Swarmer. Right so to the rest of the league, Matt Swarmer is the guy who gave up eight home runs to the Yankees. That's what that's what everybody remembers. <laughs> sure. To the Cub fans, it's that guy who doesn't wear a shirt under his jersey, which is creepy, <laughs> and kicks his leg up over his head and has like two really good pitches. He's miscast as a starter. He's now in the bullpen, and everybody was like, "Oh my god, stupid Jed!" Uh, he you'll be shocked to know he cleared waivers and is on his way to Iowa. Right. Like one of the things the Cubs really don't have to risk these days is losing these guys because they're not good enough for anybody else to claim. <laughs> it was like uh, last year, I think, a couple, they, they DFA'd Ildemaro Vargas like multiple times before they finally right. lost him. <laughs> the Pirates <laughs> or somebody are like, hey, I heard of that guy. Let's take him. It's like, guys, we're not, you're, I believe it or not, you're probably not going to miss him. Um. But yeah, we we're embarking now on a second half with um, not a tremendous amount of. Well, I guess the I guess the wild card races have kind of have firmed up a little bit. Um, because for a while there, it looked like we were going to hardly have any races. We're really not going to have. Um, I guess there'll be one in the NL Central because the Cardinals and Brewers are only a half game apart. The AL Central, the White Sox, Twins, and, and Guardians are all within three games of each other. Um, and then then the NL East, the the Braves and the Mets, but they have such good records that they're clearly the the team that doesn't win is going to get a wild card spot. Right. Because other divisions, the Yankees have a thirteen game lead, the Astros have a nine game lead, the Dodgers have a ten game lead. So, uh, yeah, the Mariners are still nine out despite winning 14 14 games. Yeah. (laughs) That's the place Juan Soto could go. I don't know if they're going to. Jerry DePoto likes to trade, he's got a compulsion. So, and and they have lots of prospects. Maybe they trade uh, Jared Kelnick back for him. But that's one that could be interesting. And they haven't made the playoffs. That's sort of uh, the Mariners' playoff. Races sort of against themselves because they haven't been there in twenty years. Yeah, that's somewhat interesting. So I don't know. Did you uh, did you watch? Maybe you got sent this. As a did you have you watched any of the Derek Jeter, uh, his ESPN documentary? I watched the first maybe fifteen minutes. Okay, I only watched the first one. I think there was another one on tonight. I think. I think episode two dropped on dropped on Thursday. Um, yeah. The thing that struck me from uh, episode one, I thought was um, 
it it seemed odd to me that a skinny 150 pound shortstop from Kalamazoo was the consensus high school player of the year. I mean, clearly yeah. they were right because you know he turned out to be pretty good. Right. Uh, but it just seemed because I if if you would if you would asked me. Like I knew he was, I knew he was a top ten pick, so that wouldn't shock me. But then when they're showing all the awards he had won, I'm like, how many games did, did, did Kalamazoo's high school play in a year? And actually, get to play, yes. Yeah. I mean, I've driven through Kalamazoo. It's you know, pretty fast. I hope. It's up there. Yeah, really fast. Don't don't slow down. Though the Kalamazoo River is this really wide, weird thing, and you feel like you drive over it like five times on your way through Kalamazoo. Like the Missouri. Um, so I thought that was odd. Um, yeah. And you think about like, uh, Mike Trout being from New Jersey and not being the high school player of the year and being picked 18th or whatever he was, or 29th by the angels. It's interesting that Jeter 25 years ago caught fire and got such attention that he was picked that where was he picked? He was a player of the year, but sixth. what's that? Sixth, okay. Yeah, there was a Sixth. there was a run on college players. He was the first high school player taken because he was in the mix to be the number one overall pick. Um, and he didn't know, you know, it wasn't televised. He's just like standing in his house in Kalamazoo waiting for a phone call, and um, he actually got a phone call from a reporter at the Kalamazoo paper telling him that the first five picks had been made and he wasn't, he hadn't gone yet. Yeah. And he hung up from him and then he got a call from uh, the Yankees. And there were people who were like, cause it did take kind of an odd, like the big swerve at the beginning of the documentary where they're talking about Derek and growing up and all that stuff. And all of a sudden now we're talking about um, Harold Spira and George Steinbrenner and George right. getting suspended. Oh, and it's right. like, why are we talking about this now? Well, the reason they were talking about that was, um, former Cub manager Gene Michael, yeah, took over, and for at least for like three years, the Yankees had a relatively calm. And the point they were trying to make was, you know, that's that's when they acquired, you know, the core four. That's when they got yeah. Andy Pettit and Jorge Posada and Derek Jeter and um and um and they got Bernie Williams, they got those other guys, and they kept them because. Under George's Impulsive normal board. thing, those guys would have all been traded for veterans at some point in a in yeah. another attempt to win that year. That that totally was at the time the the narrative. I mean, I I don't have a I believe it too. I, I it was weird to me that they that's the part of the documentary that I saw. They spent a lot of time on George Steinbrenner yeah. being gone. They thought it was just a little bit. I thought they could have made that point in about. 60 seconds and took about six minutes to do it. Um, but yeah, not having George there, I don't know if that meant that they wouldn't have taken Jeter. They didn't really say that, but right. I um, think the, I think the point they were trying to get across was he would, he, or how many of those guys would have been around to ever make it to the majors as a Yankee? Yeah. Just given their track record of, we just we trade prospects because we want veterans because we're trying to win right now. So the the first ride was the um, the nineteen ninety two draft. The first overall pick, it was the Astros. 
And they had Derek thought there was a chance he would go there. It was it was uh, former Yankee third base coach Phil and Nevin. current Angels interim manager. Yes, Phil Nevin was the number one pick. Uh, the the then Indians took Paul Shuey. The Expos took B.J. Wallace, who never made it to the big leagues. The Orioles took Jeffrey Hammonds. And then the Reds at five were the other team that Derek thought he was going to go to. There was this idea they could kind of seamlessly go from Barry Larkin to Derek Jeter. Yeah. And they instead took the great Chad Matola. Oh, yeah. So then you get the cool scene where, because they, the Jeters filmed it, um, Derek's mom hands him the phone, tells him it's the, he's been a lifelong Yankees fan. His grandma lived in New Jersey. They would go there on family vacations. He went to, he went to Yankee games as a kid. They have all these million pictures of him as a little kid in Yankee uniforms. They showed a shot of, he had got, he had, they, somebody had bought him a full Yankee uniform. And then when he outgrew it, he pinned it to the wall <laughs> with the hat and then the Jersey and then the pants. And, um, he gets a call and it's the Yankees drafting. Right. And he's all excited. And one of the things he says in the documentary is like, I never, I spent my whole career, I never played any position but shortstop, and I never played for any team but the Yankees, which was his childhood dream that he got to do that. And apparently in a later episode, uh, there's an interview with him where he talks about when A-Rod came, that he he could not believe that A-Rod would go to a team where he had to move to third base. Like to Jeter, that was just like the dumbest thing ever. It's like, why would you come here and play right. third base? You're a shortstop. Right. You have a chance to be like the greatest shortstop of all time, and you're just going to move. He could never understand that. So, uh, which I well, there's some irony the there. Well, yeah, the irony is that they. I mean, you can make a pretty easy case that they moved the wrong guy. Yes. 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 That, uh, yeah, Derek, do you remember that part? Yes. Wait. Why would you? That, yeah. And as somebody else pointed out, there's Derek Jeter, who was the, who was a great player and a winner and all that stuff. He was never the best player on his own team. <laughs> right. So. Um. Yeah, I'll tune in. I don't know that I'll make it through the. Uh, um, I don't know how many episodes I'll make it through, but I'll yeah, I'll watch a few of them. I, I'm a sucker for a well-made documentary, and so I'll probably watch it. Um, I don't know that if they. Uh, I think they do actually. I think they're going to address the uh, the gift basket, the immortal Derek Jeter gift baskets. Yeah. Um, that uh, attractive women would take home from his house. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they tiptoe around that. Um, but it's if, from the first episode. It seems like he's actually going to talk about stuff, which is good. Right. Kind of a kind of a must, um, but it would be a surprise. I mean, yeah, because you know. he's you know he. I mean, that was one of his great tricks. Was to never really say anything. Right. You're never going to be controversial. You never have to, you know. And honestly, after a while, guys are going to you know, they kind of have to come to you because you're Derek Jeter, you're the captain of the Yankees, and the Yankees are still winning. But it's pretty perfunctory when they know they're not going to get anything. And they basically leave you alone. Right. And that's what he did forever. Um, it's funny because it says they're completely different stories, obviously, and different situations. But um, Netflix is going to have a documentary, I think, 
in April, in August, maybe it's the end of this month coming up, about uh, Manti Teo and his imaginary girlfriend, mm-hmm. Lene Kakua. And Manti is clearly from the trailer involved in this documentary. He's talking about stuff, he's doing stuff. And it has to be really frustrating. ESPN did a documentary about it last year, and he wouldn't, they interviewed him, but he wouldn't say anything. Right. And it's like, well, guys, the reason he's talking to Netflix is they paid him. <laughs> That's why he's talking. Right. And he probably already had the deal with Netflix, and they're basically like, well, you can't say anything to ESPN. we got to save the stuff for us. So, so we'll see. But anyway, I don't know how the hell I got on Lene Kakua. Um, Especially since she's not there. No, she's not. Uh, they will. They they clearly though are interviewing the uh, the person who pretended to be her. So that'll be interesting. But mm-hmm. so I guess that's all I got. Um, this was fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you know, if it's supposed to be the really fun time of the season. Now we get to the stretch run. We get all this stuff out of the way, and instead, as a Cub fan, we just get to watch them take a bad team and make it even worse. Well, I'm sure that they will figure out a new way to have us discuss them that will be interesting to us. Oh, I'm sure it will be. I mean, maybe the losing gets old, but uh, there's a certain creativity to it all. I think think we'll be fine. Uh, They did avoid... um, The the comeback win against the Mets avoided another indignity, which that would have been their fourth... Uh, double-digit losing streak in two seasons, which would have tied a major league record. Wow, that's not good. But I think it was more impressive than what they almost pulled off last year. Um, Dar- or, uh, what's his name? David Ross <laughs> <laughs> almost became the first manager in baseball history to manage a team that had three double-digit losing streaks in the same season. That's you perseverance to come back from that. Yeah. They they had two, and then late in the year they went on this horrible run where they lost. Uh, I believe it was fifteen out of sixteen, mm-hmm. but I believe they won like game number eight. So they never on either end of it they didn't get to ten, so saved him. But man, they are the thing that they are really good at losing. So congratulations to the Cubs. <laughs> All right, well. Uh, um, next time we'll have trades to talk about, I'm sure, yeah. and um, have a much better idea of uh, who's going to be good and who's not down the stretch, and we'll talk about it then. Thanks, Andy. So, thanks, Dave. Yep. Many of us have herpes. 